Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Another brand new edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Bill Meltzer going to join us in just a couple of moments. Flyers will be back in action today when they take on the Carolina Hurricanes. Game two of the eight-game homestand and game one of back-to-back days with games. Brindamore and the Canes today who come in at the top spot in the Metropolitan Division with a record of 34-11-4, 72 points. They grabbed that top spot from the Pittsburgh Penguins, who they beat yesterday. They've won two straight games, 6-2-2 in their last 10. Flyers tied with the New Jersey Devils, played one less game than the Devils. Seventh place right now in the Metropolitan Division, 15-25-9, 39 points. And 2-7-1 in their last 10. Flyers have now lost four straight. They'll look to get a win over a team they beat 2-1 earlier this season at Wells Fargo Center this afternoon. A matinee game for President's Day at Wells Fargo Center. But joining us right now from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com for his weekly visit, it is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? Doing well, Jason. How about yourself? Doing well. Not a ton of hockey to talk about in the week that was and the week that will be. Still some, and we'll get to that, but a lot more going on off the ice around the Flyers right now. There is. uh, You know, we're going to be hearing trade rumors of varying degrees of validity from here until until the deadline. Um, You know, there's that aspect. There's obviously the the games themselves. And, uh, you know, and also trying to see how many guys will be either – able to come back from injuries or, or in some cases, you know, like with Kevin Hayes nearing, nearing a decision as to whether he's going to attempt to play again this season. Yeah. They've set kind of an artificial March 1st deadline. I think that's the kind of a roundabout date to kind of determine what they're going to do with him the rest of the season. But some of the players, younger players, they're uh, getting back on the ice. Tanner Lashinsky got back on the ice and Wade Allison as well. Yeah. And uh, Lashinsky had a really good weekend. Um, for the Phantoms, actually, as we're recording this, the uh, Phantoms lost a couple of hours ago, three to one. Uh, Lashinsky had the only goal, goal for the Phantoms uh, in, in Sunday's game. Really could have had three goals in the game. I mean, he was he was the Phantoms' best player in a game where they didn't have much going. And on Saturday too, just getting in the forecheck is you know his, his heaviness on the puck. This two way game, you know, and, and considering that he had he said surgery on both hips within a calendar year. So it's really nice to see Tanner off to a good start. Hopefully he can stay healthy. And Wade Allison, as you you know, he's also back in the ice again, and hopefully he can stay healthy too. You know, he's he keeps knocking on the door of of uh, winning a, a long range spot with the Flyers, and the injuries keep getting in the way. So hopefully, and ho- hopefully, good news with both of those guys. Then they deserve a break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, to have both hips done, Bill, and to look good out of the gate like that—that's yeah. incredibly impressive. I know they've come a long way uh, with what they can accomplish, especially in a hip surgery. Uh, I'm probably headed for dual hip myself uh, for far different reasons. I just destroyed mine playing goalie, but uh, to be able to come back and and really have some jump in your game right away for Lashinsky, do you sense maybe a call up? Maybe not imminent, but somewhere down the line here in the in the coming couple of weeks? I do. Jason, I, I mean, truthfully, I, I've always thought Lashinsky is an NHL player. Yeah. You know, and, and really going back to, to really going back to his junior year in college. And and that's why I think there was some speculation that when he went back for his senior year, he was intending to become a free agent. Uh, ultimately, of course, did end up signing with the, with the Flyers. You know, and I expect him to get a little bit of AHL time as workup. But I, I would I would think that if he had been healthy, he would have already been in the Flyers lineup as a, as a full-time regular by now. So, I mean, I, 
just because he's he's a smart two-way player, you know, because you can move him around the lineup as, as you need to. He understands that his role in the NHL might be a little different than it was for the Phantoms or, or in, in college hockey. But he's one of those guys he has he, he brings the size element, but he bring he brings the hockey sense element too. So I think, you know, I, I think he's an NHL player. And I think that just in terms of being able to play a role, I mean, he brings some things that I think would be able to help the Flyers at the NHL level. So hopefully, you know, hopefully he puts in the time with the Phantoms, you know, and I'm sure you play that first weekend, it's on adrenaline. You know, yeah. and then, you know, and then then we'll see how how it goes from there over the next couple of weeks. But I but I, I would suspect that as long as he stays healthy, he'll he'll be up by the end of the year. Bill, how advantageous is it for both Tanner and Wade Allison to be able to get some games at the NHL level, finish out this season without being injured and head into an offseason with that mindset that they finish the season playing and not recovering? Oh, for sure. From just from a peace of mind standpoint. You know, when when a player comes back from injury, um, and the, you know both guys have had more than their share of, of injury issues. Um, and we were just talking about uh, Lashinsky with the two hip surgeries, and you know Allison's had well, this is a sprained MCL, thankfully didn't require surgery, but he's had the ACL tear, he's had foot surgery. You know, there's a little question in the player's mind because he has to trust his body again. Yeah, and going out there and playing in, under game conditions holding up a little bit and having a little bit of success, I think it's a whole, a whole different mentality going into the off season than, than it would be if you know, you're shut down for the year and you're coming back in camp. It's the same mentality a little bit with Ryan Ellis that they want to get him back out there so that he can finish the season. And maybe that's what they're holding out for, but are we running thin on time now to make that decision, whether to, to bring him back for at least maybe a 20 game stretch or whatever it might be, or shutting him down and just making sure there's no risk involved and, and just bring him back next year. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're getting late into February now. He's not, he's not, you know, he has done the hard skating, let alone anything resembling practice conditions. So he, he's a long way from playing. And then when you get to the point of another few weeks out, there wouldn't even be enough time Yeah, to, to um, you know, I mean, really he played three games, missed, oh, what, what was it? It was about a month played one more game and he hasn't played since. So we're already looking since I guess the early part of November, since he's even played a game. So I, I, it's, it's not looking good in that front. I mean, I don't have any, obviously any issue with the guy coming in, taking treatment, seeing if it, seeing if it's in the realm of possibility, just for the reasons we were just talking about, but I'm not optimistic in his case. And I rode the elevator down with him at Wells Fargo Center the other night. And I got to tell you, he was asking overtime of the mask that he was wearing with that beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that beard was just yeah. billowing out of the sides. I mean, look, I'm a bearded guy, heavily bearded guy too. And uh, boy, his is like ZZ Top-esque <laughs> at this point. But um, he, he looked good, but, you know, looking good and being able to play hockey and, and being injured are two different things. But I want to talk about Morgan Frost because – there's been obviously a lot of discussion about Morgan from the minute he was drafted because of the the draft day trade in which they you know end up getting Morgan and then all the elements of you know what he did in junior what he's done in the AHL and then we know the time that he's missed when the pandemic hit and then uh, when he gets into that first game against the Penguins a season ago he has the shoulder injury which requires surgery shuts him down and really puts him behind the eight ball in a development standpoint once again uh, and he's shown flashes this year but. It hasn't been consistent. And, you know, looking back at some players, you know, 
it's it's interesting because players all develop at different speeds and under different circumstances and different systems. And, you know, I looked at a guy like Patrick Sharp who didn't score 20 goals in the NHL until he was 25 years old. So when you look at Morgan right now, where's his game at and would it benefit them to maybe just unleashing him a little bit more offensively and letting the, the 200 foot responsibility maybe wane a little bit just to get him going and get that a part of his game going. Well, uh, I mean that, you know, if I were the one making the call, I would, I would do that. I would put him up with, even with Giroux, for yeah. whatever, you know, just, just to, just to rebuild his confidence a little bit. You know, sometimes, uh, I, I, he, I, I think one of the things with, with Frost is that he seems to have a, he seems to be a player who to, is prone to getting depressing, getting, you know, he'll, if things aren't going his way, sometimes it, it'll spiral a little bit on him. Largely because, and, and Mike Yo brought up this point, and I agree with it, that in junior hockey, it came very easily for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yesterday or a couple of days ago, somebody was posting uh, was posting Brink stats for Denver. And I said, you know, it, 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 tell, it you know, just reminds me of a couple of things. First of all, the junior and collegiate stats are, are really nice, but the pro game is a whole different animal do, you know, doing that at the pro level. Um, I, I took a snapshot of the the OHL leaderboard. Um, this is from it was a, it was an old Twitter post, and uh, this was I guess about two thirds of the way through the uh, the uh, twenty seventeen eighteen season. So um, Frost was eighteen years old a year after the draft. Well, OHL point leader Morgan Frost, o- OHL assist leader Morgan Frost. He was fifth in goals, and he was like plus fifty three at the time because you know, he was the most dominant line in, in any junior league and it was the same way the next year you know with with i think seven games left in the season he was averaging two points a game and he'd come off of a dominant world junior championships everything was going his way i mean he he could just you know he could just do things with his skill level that you can't do as a pro slowing the play down sometimes even a standstill right he, he could stop kind of survey what his options are and then he would just saucer a pass over somebody's stick and find somebody right at the net i mean you're just not going to do that at the pro level no and one of i mean it almost didn't do him any favors the fact that he was on such a dominant line that always had the puck i mean he he was he he led all junior hockey was plus 70 that first year um and you know it wasn't because morgan is the greatest two-way player and he's you know he he has good instincts but he's you know he's he's learning learning the game uh, as a defensive player, just because, again, because they always had the pocket and because they scored so much. So, you know, when he when he got to the pro level, it's been a process of learning to play without the puck, learning to play at his fastest pace more consistently um, on faceoffs. Um, and uh, it was something, a discussion I had with him a couple of years ago, a, a couple of years ago, when he was in the OHL, he could win faceoffs just with his hands because they were so much faster. Well, on the NHL level, you got to get lower. You know, you, you got to crouch down lower. You got to use your body more because you're not going to just you're not going to win every draw cleanly with your hands. Yeah, just just many, many, many details uh, in terms of in terms of from the consistency side. Um, the one thing he's always been able to do, if you put him with skill guys, he will create offense. And Mike Yo said this too. He realizes that if he were playing in a different spot in the lineup, the points would be a little bit higher right now. But it, really, what he's looking for. Is the pacing, the consistency? I think the time has come that I would like to see him. You know, like the the other night um, against the Caps, and I, I thought I thought Morgan had a poor game against uh, the Penguins. I, I don't think he was very good at all in that game, but he barely played against the Caps, and until that late 
game puck battle. I actually thought he was good in the yeah. uh, much, 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 much better in the Washington game. Uh, it's it's unfortunate. It was unfortunate the the puck battle that he lost ultimately ended up in the Flyers' net. But I, I was a lot I was a lot more bothered by a battle he lost on the boards in the Pittsburgh game that ended up in the Flyers' net because he didn't really you know he he, he didn't compete enough on that one. The other one he just he just was a 50-50 battle and he ultimately lost it. And you know a few seconds later, I mean it goes out to the point. It goes by Wilman. Uh, the puck deflects off of. Harna, uh, yeah, off of uh, Hathaway's pants or his thigh or something, you know, just just one of those, just one of those plays. But I, I thought they, all in all, he'd had a pretty good game. But he only played nine minutes and he barely played on the power play. I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think that's the role you're setting him up in position to succeed in doing. Yeah, and it's almost like you want to make him feel good about what he's good at, and yeah. to, to unleash him a little bit and say, okay, you're not going to be, you know, a, a lockdown defender right now, and we're not going to ask you to do that because that's not what your skill set is at this point in the NHL. Yeah. You got to be moving your feet away from the puck and you got to be stronger on 50, 50, all those things, but we're going to let you unleash what you're best at. And that's the best way to get a player assimilated to the NHL, put them in a position for success. But let's talk about that that Washington game, because there's a play at the end of that game, which I, I mean, it's just, there's no way two ways to put it. It was a horrible turnover by Evan Proveroff to go to his backhand toward the middle of the ice. I think I know what he was trying to do. I think he saw Lawton in his peripheral vision as curling right there as the center. He's going to go for a quick up instead of rimming it around the boards. But Carl Hagelin read it perfectly, jumped it, gets the puck in front to Hathaway, goal, and basically game over uh, at that point. Um, I know that Ivan was pretty probably tore up about it. It, it, just those kind of mistakes can't happen from your top pairing defenseman right now. No, not in a, not in a tie, not in a tie game that late no. regulation. I mean, you battled your ass off in too, to be there. Yeah. yeah you know, it, it's, uh, and, and of course, compounding all of it, uh, you know, uh, Lawton <laughs> lost an edge and he wiped out. So yeah, that, we'll that, that, so now it's a wide open, a wide open chance in front. But I mean, yeah, that, those kind of things can't happen. It, it's been that kind of up and down year for pro. And the funny thing is, is that I thought in the, Pittsburgh game and most of the the Washington game he was fine he played well but but that that's obviously that you know that that was a game turning play I mean he he knew you know if he could have pulled it back on a string before before it even went to have he knew he knew but that that I mean obviously that was that was a really costly play it's it's been the way that the Flyers as a team have shot themselves in the foot time and time and time again you know why they've given up so many goals they're closely spaced together I mean all the all the things that are popping up and it popped up in the last couple of games because the Pittsburgh game was winnable and this game was very winnable. You're winning late, late in the third period and you get one point out of the two games. And it's not about, it's not a, about a playoff race. It's, it's about knowing how to finish games and being a better hockey team. And if you go, well, if he's, you know, a really young player in the league, you kind of you go, okay, that's part of the growing pains. It was just an egregious error uh, by Proveroff there and the wrong read and Hagelin made a good play on the puck, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the fact that they're in those games missing what they're missing um, shows you one thing. It shows you that the team is not quitting. And, you know, I think one of the the psychologies that I'm most intrigued by when you have all the players missing that they have and they're not oblivious to it. They know that, hey, the team we're playing is playing really well, Pittsburgh or Washington, and they're stacked from a roster standpoint. We're incredibly depleted. We're out of it but they're going out there and they're putting themselves in position to win these games. And it's not about a moral victory because I don't believe in them. At the professional sports level, it's about wins and losses, period, end of sentence. And 
But the fact that they're in these games show that these guys have not quit and they're out there and they're playing hard. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, you know, listen, as you said, there, there are no moral victories. If you're, you know, if you're leading in the third period and, you know, you end up with uh, particularly a regulation loss out of it. I mean, there, there's not much good you can take away from in the end. Um, you know, it, but it, but you have to, you have to start somewhere. And there, there was so much that's been been wrong with the team's ability to battle through adversity. And, and you know, I, I think there have been times where the Flyers as a team have, over the last two seasons, I think they've been a little bit guilty of, you know, feeling a little sorry for themselves at times. It's not, and it, it, it's that's a it's a collective mentality. It's not pointing a finger at this guy or that guy. I just I just think that 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 oh no here we go again mentality set in and you saw i mean you saw last march when everything just just went to pieces and i mean it just it just kept falling and falling and falling you know i mean right now this this team is more depleted than last year's team was uh, um but uh, but at least they're competing a little bit more and again that's that's not much consolation but i'm saying it's it's a starting point for how you know for how you start to put pieces together to become a better team because uh you know, because this this season is, you know, it's not even about this season at this point. No, no, it's definitely, everything is about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Bill, one of the things, you know, when doing the what's wrong with the Flyers kind of series that I'm doing and taking Flyers fans, you know, direct messages on it, I, a couple of things have been consistent. One of them has been development and, you know, players either before they get to the NHL or once they get to the NHL. I think we can look in some certain instances with certain players and, you know, that's been one of the things that has been pointed out by pretty much everybody that's responded to me and sent in a what's wrong with the Flyers. How do you fix the development model so that that's not something that continues? Because at the NHL level, it is a different type of development and how yeah. you develop a player. And, you know, a big part of that is how the coach handles those players. So how, how's the best way to ensure better development both before and during their NHL stint? Well, I think that, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, you, you can take a very conservative approach in developing a player um, where they have to earn every little bit of keep that they get. I mean, that, that's an old school mentality. Yeah. So if you're going to play in the upper end of the lineup, you know, you're, you're going to start out in the bottom six or the third pair, and you're going to earn that time. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's you put the guy with uh, your top talent, and uh, you build him from there a little bit. And, and it's funny because it seemed, you know, we were, we were talking about Frost early on. They were doing that. He was playing up in the lineup a little bit, and then I think then I think the focus shifted a little bit. Do you know what? Let him earn it. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just it's just an approach. Um, you know, I, I I think that I think that when you start getting a grooming player at the pro level. And let's start, starts with the American league. Um, although there is development, at the NHL level, a lot of it's more organic and experience. The AHL level, you're still doing more teaching unless you're, unless you're truly, you know, a, uh, you know, you have a very young team and you're looking, you know, you're looking two, three, four years down the line. Yeah. Right. But I, I think that, I think that it's putting players in not necessarily the role you want them in, but what, where, you know, where are their, where do their strengths lie, right? What kind of player, what kind of 
development path have they been on? Um, you know, I, I think that for a while, I don't think the organization was getting it right with uh, Isaac Ratcliffe, for example. Um, and I think they're on the right track now. But, I, you know, I, I go back to, you know, uh, there are a lot of things that, that Scott Gordon did that I agreed with. But one that I disagreed with was Isaac Ratcliffe in, you know, in his draft plus two years, so he was 19, 50 goals in the regular season, 15 more in the playoffs. And by November of his rookie year, it's like, you know what? He's a fourth-line guy and a penalty killer, and that's, where gonna ha- that's how we're going to develop him. And then he had injuries the second year. And, it's a little you know, quick. It was, it's quick. It was quick. And I, I think now you're seeing a much more confident player, even if, even if he plays in the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Um, remember the, you know, like the Detroit game? He set up a gorgeous screen in, in front of the net for a power play goal. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's deflecting off him. And that was his yeah. first goal, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I think you're seeing a much more confident player. So even if he plays in the bottom six, maybe he's a guy who can play some power play for you. You know, and I mean, to me, the to me, the shortest route to the NHL, particularly if you're a big guy, yeah, it's, you play lower end of the lineup, maybe you know, maybe throw your size around a little bit, and there you go, maybe you have maybe you have a role. But I think that I think that um, you want to put the you want to put players in the best position to succeed. So ultimately, you go to what what are their strengths and. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm going back to Frost again just because I had a text conversation with with, the, with an NHL scout, and he, you know, and he this is an exaggerated example, but he said you you don't try to turn Patrick Kane into Jonathan Tays. Yeah. You know, you 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 go with what the player's strengths are, build confidence in the things he does well, his core competencies, and then you work on you work on rounding out the weaknesses. But you want the, you know, I, I mean, obviously you want the pluses to outweigh the minuses, but I think that I think more development along those lines. I think it helps that there are now more that they're expanding the developmental staff, so there is more one-on-one time with yeah. players. You know, so you're not you're you're not visiting with four players in the in the course of two weeks, right? So you have more one-on-one time got with guys. There's there's more one-on-one rapport. Um, so I think I think all of those things help, and I just think ultimately, you know, it's. Yeah, you know, a little bit of his mentality, and also the last thing I'll say is, yeah, you got to keep these guys healthy. I mean, that's yeah. they've just been so many injuries with the prospect. It's it's you can't really name five guys, you know, who haven't had some major injury along the way that's kind of taken them off course a little bit. Um, and uh, I mean, if you look at what a team like the Rochester Americans are doing, they're going with their young players. You know, they had they have some AHL veterans there that are there for support and leadership. But the the young guys are are being put in situations that you'd like them to eventually play at the NHL level. So that's yeah. uh, you know like um, you know so you know a guy like Cam York. Um, I don't know that playing him on his on his offside on the third pair was was the best spot for him. Maybe, maybe he is better off in the Phantoms. And, and you know then when you call him up, play him on his natural side and you know with, with power play time. But I, I think that, that I think I think it has to do with a lot of those things. Just just getting getting the player from playing that junior collegiate style game to the NHL level. Because truthfully, Jason, I think that look at who they've drafted and where those players have been at the end of their junior career, the end of their collegiate career. A lot of those guys have been right where you want them to be. Yeah. 
right? Boy, they, they play World Juniors or like like Cam, your captain, uh, Team USA gold medal winning team of the World Juniors. Um, his second collegiate year, he was he was outstanding. Um, we just talked about Frost Junior career, or a lot, a lot of other guys had that cycle. Lezinski, or, or it seems like um, it seems like Jay O'Brien is finding that right path. Brink is leading college hockey in scoring. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, it's it's not that those guys at those lower levels after you drafted them. In many cases, and in some cases, guys disappointed like LeBurge, who had you know again the concussion issues or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that his junior totals from the year he was drafted to the to the point he turned pro never really took off the way you would want them to. But but a lot of guys that hasn't been the case. Yeah, where they're right where you want them to be when they turn pro, and then either at the American League level or or in the NHL level, like like Travis Konechny, you know he was an all star. Right. Yeah. And then ever since then, it's been, you know, roller coaster ride. So, yeah, you have to look at, okay, why are guys stagnating? Why are guys, in some cases, going backwards? And I give Danny Breer a lot of credit for saying, you know, you know what the development size is there. We do have to do better because, you know, because if you're in denial of it and you keep making, you know, keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. So I think, I think the beginning of the process is recognizing that you need to make changes. And then enacting those changes. Yeah, and and make the right changes for sure. Yeah. But one of the one of the parts of the equation too that I've really kind of focused on of late is, you know, NHL teams can be littered with talent, but that talent has to fit. The, it, this is a jigsaw puzzle on a financial side from just salary cap management and players at different stages of their career to fit those pieces together. But the pieces on the ice need to fit together like the jigsaw puzzle as well and need to fit perfectly to have success. Otherwise, you know, players don't complement other players. You don't want redundancy and skill set. You need high end talent. You need role players. You need all of those things. And when you look at the Flyers right now, even when healthy, um, do the you got to ask yourself the question, do the pieces fit? Because there is talent there. Like Travis Konecki doesn't suck, like some people might say on social media reactionary wise. Um, but do, does he fit with a role on the team or does, you know, certain players, you know, everybody's got a job to do out there and you need to go out and you need to do your job. And if somebody's not doing their job, you can't go and do their job because now you're not doing yours and you're not doing theirs. How, cause that's not what your skill set is. These, all these pieces need to fit and complement each other from a roster building standpoint. Do you see that as an issue that does this team fit together? Uh, I mean, I think that the empirical evidence would be no. Yeah. You know? And, you know, listen, they, they, you know, sometimes, sometimes you solve one need and you open up another one. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they, they wanted to bring in, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, you know, Cam Atkinson has certainly filled a need, right? First mentality. Um, yeah. They have the shoot first mentality that they're trying to bring in. And, you know, now in, to get Cam Atkinson, they they traded probably the best playmaking winger they've had, and they're, they're, they need that, right? They, that's that's been missing. They, they you know they need more, so they, they need more scoring, but they need more playmaking. They still need more size, but they need more speed too. You know, it, it's it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to I mean, you have to make a decision about what kind of team you want to be. You and I discussed this on a previous Bingo. podcast. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, so you decide what kind of team you want to have, and then then you, you know, you put together that 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 group of players, but and hopefully it clicks. But you also 
you know, you also need balance because every team, even you know, sometimes when a team goes a little far in one direction or another, um, you can handle certain matchups and then you get to a playoff series and you find, you know what, you're not built to beat the team that you're playing. And, uh, you know, so you see teams that light the scoreboard the, in the regular season and the goals against is just low enough. So they're not down at the bottom where you're going to miss the playoffs, but, you know, when you get you get the players and you find that you don't have you don't have the discipline and you don't have um, you don't have the two way game where you're going to get through a series where the checking is tight every game. Yeah. Every game is contested. Yeah. And I mean, you know, right now. I mean, the Flyers are not a team that can outscore their mistakes, but they're also not a team that's been winning a lot of low scoring games either. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that it's not by accident. I, obviously the injuries are a factor whenever, but the, the pieces and, you know, I, I mean, I really, I really thought on paper that they were going to be a better team than this. Even when you factor in injuries and those kind of things. I mean, I think the only thing you can say is the pieces are not fitting. Yeah. And that's going to be a big part of this off season is getting the puzzle to fit together. You can't wedge two pieces together and have the puzzle look right. Yeah. And the, the only way to, I mean, like the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of those teams, boatloads of talent, uh, can outscore you in the regular season, but in the playoffs they've been unable to do it because they just haven't been a team that was built for that and had those pieces to to really kind of get you through a seven-game series. The last thing for you, let's talk uh, trade deadline because it's getting closer and closer. Uh, March 21st is the deadline. It's, a, I guess, I guess a, a month to the day away um, with February 21st being today. When you look at uh, deadline, first of all, any of the things and rumors you're hearing on the the Giroux front, we've seen some names tossed around, uh, teams. We've talked about Colorado. We've talked about you know St. Louis Blues, and we've talked about the Minnesota Wild. I know Freege mentioned uh, uh, the Florida Panthers as a team as well. So when you look at the anything really pop out for you with the Giroux front in the last week or so? Well, uh, I mean, one thing that that's kind of popped out has been that it's not as cut and dry as some of the rumors had it, you know, probably, well, a couple weeks ago um, where, you know, well, he's given his list and these are his teams. And that's apparently not necessarily the case. Um, those might be at the top, but I mean, he might be, he might be open to other possible destinations. Um, I mean, I think it behooves, it behooves the flyers actually, if there are, if there are, say three teams that are, are battling in the same conference because, you know, they're, they're competing not just for a player, but they're potentially competing against each other in the playoffs. So that that's beneficial to the flyers. Um, you know, I, I think that with Giroux to me, the, the asking price could be significantly higher if uh, you know, if Pat Brisson can work out some kind of extension proactively. Mm-hmm. And and if he's willing to sign somewhere else, you trade him and he, he signs for however many years. Then all of a sudden, it's not just a rental, and you can you can ask for a bigger piece in return. Otherwise, you're looking you know at a first round pick and a good prospect, but not a top of somebody's system. And I, I think whatever whatever it might be, there are going to be some people that are disappointed. But I mean, I think that's uh, you know you you do the best you can. I think they still want to have a guy who's Basically NHL ready, which would be bigger priority than a first round pick, especially this year, late in the first round. But 
get an asset, you get a prospect, and you get a guy who's early 20s who could step in an NHL lineup. That That's a realistic trade return, and you have to obviously have those guys well scouted as to who's going to come in and contribute and start to be part of a solution. Um, it, we're not really hearing anything on the Rasmus Ristolainen front. He'll be back today uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes. Good to see that he'll get back into the lineup. And uh, also Justin Braun, another guy. We're not hearing any specific teams just yet. Value proposition on each of those guys for you. Well, uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. If you could package Ristolainen with Giroux. Yeah. I mean, because teams, teams, the Flyers will have no problem trading Ristolainen because Ristolainen, who's never played in the playoffs just yet. He's but built that's for it, kind of, that, Yeah, that's, that's the kind of guy that teams really look for. The yeah. warrior type, the physical type, the checking gets tighter. You know, I mean, you know, Chuck Fletcher himself has said he would like to resign the player. Um, and he, but you can't blame Ristolainen where – you know he does. He doesn't know what the situations look like here. He doesn't want to commit to being here. Unless, you know, I mean, he's getting into his later twenties, and he's never played a single playoff game, let alone won a series. So he wants to go somewhere he can win. He's only been here for a year, so I don't know how it's looking for, you know, for re-signing the player. I don't. I don't think you can recoup everything that you, you know, that you you traded, the first round pick, you know, a second round pick, and and a roster player. Yeah, but I don't think you're going to get all that in return. But I, but, but I don't think the Flyers will have any issue getting at least at least the second round pick back, and maybe another another piece on top of that. I, I don't, I don't think you'll get the first round pick unless unless there's multiple bidders. What did, did Davis Savard fetch a, fe- a first and a third last year though from Columbus to Tampa? He did, he did, and uh, you know, some I mean, sometimes it surprises you. You look at what Peugeot brought in a couple of years yeah. ago. And he ultimately, you know, he resigned, but you know, he got, I think, first, second, and third round picks. Yeah, you know, so yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes a team wants a player badly enough, and they figure we're looking for one specific element and just go for it. They, they, then you can be surprised. Um, and I mean, you you mentioned Justin Braun. Uh, that that would be a veteran leadership type who's been to a Stanley Cup final. Could played well. Yeah, he did. He did. He, and he and he's, he doesn't look finished. You know, he's still he's still playing capably. So even if he's on a third pair and a PK, you know, that's a, that's a value acquisition for, you know, for a, another for a playoff caliber team. And also, um, I, I you know, I I think Freed reported actually that the Flyers had had an offer for Martin Jones. I think, you know, I, th- I think that later round pick kind of offer, fifth, fifth round kind of pick offer will still be there. Uh, that's another guy who's been a starter on a Stanley cup finalist and another year he played in a conference final as a starter. So if you're, you know, the thing is as, as the backup goalie, you're one injury away from being the starter. Yeah. And goalie injuries are so unpredictable anyway that I, that I expect him, I expect him to be one of the guys who's moved by the deadline, even, even though the return won't be anything overwhelming. Yeah. He's an insurance policy for a lot of teams. Boy, looking back to last year's deadline and one of the things we were talking about, a lot with Scott Lawton and where they move him or would they extend him? And you and I talked at the time about it, about cost per replacement. Right. And boy, has he been good for this team? Oh, he sure has. So, you know, and, and not, not just because of the recent six game point streak. It's just, it's just because he goes out and he plays the same way, the same game every night. 
And you want if you want to establish a culture of you go out and you compete and you 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 know you take pride in in you know not just being in the NHL but the team you play for. You know, I mean he he represents all of those things. And that's yeah, a guy who's been one organization his whole career, you know. And uh, I mean, uh, he's a guy. He's a guy who you you trade and you might have gotten a little value in return, but it would have been a a draft pick. And you know, draft picks you you never know how the development cycle is going to go. You could look at Scott's own development cycle. You know, it took some time. Yeah. And um, so he, he's a guy I think can can be part of the solution and is still young enough so that as you're putting pieces together, you know, he, he, he can be one of those pieces. Plus he brings the versatility of being able to play wing or play center, or you could move him around the lineup. He's, he's played literally second, third and fourth line at different, different times in his career. So I think that, you know, I think that that was a good decision last year to resign that player. I know some people didn't like the term or they didn't like the cap it or whatever it was, but I, I thought, I thought that was a good signing. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, well, I mean, I guess, I guess where the team would be without them is, is worse than they are, but it, it's, uh, you know, but I, but just, just in terms of going forward, I mean, I, to me, he still is a valuable player to have around. Yeah. And if you don't have a guy like that, you're looking for a guy like that as well. Yeah. Uh, Bill, great stuff as always. Enjoy the game today. We appreciate it. Now we'll have a tomorrow will be at one of those interesting kind of review of the game breakdown of the Carolina game today and a preview of Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues tomorrow. Back-to-back nights Bill ever faced uh, former Flyer players as head coaches? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's happened somewhere along the line. I can't yeah. think of the last time though. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe in the Terry Crisp days back yeah. uh, with <laughs> Calgary or something like that. Uh Bill, thanks for doing this. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on a brand new Flyers Daily coming up tomorrow.